I, uh, I once heard uh, a comedian tell this story about how he was out walking with his son, and the son points at an antenna and says, look, Daddy, a stick. It is Jim Gaffigan, you're right. And, of course, Jim Gaffigan, feeling quite intelligent, explains to his son, actually, that's an antenna. And his son looks at the, the antenna, looks at his dad, and says, what's an antenna? Not feeling smart anymore, he responds, well, actually, that is a stick. You nailed it, buddy. And that, that's always stuck with me because it stresses the difference between knowing something and being able to explain it. And I think that's a gap that we find ourselves in a lot as Christians. Uh, it's very easy to know truth about the Bible or from the Bible. It's a very different thing to be able to explain it. And I think that's actually most evident when we try to talk about Jesus dying for us on the cross. Raise your hands if that's new information to you, that, that Jesus died on the cross for you. That is about as obvious to us as the difference between an antenna and a stick. But here's what happens. When you try to explain it to someone who it isn't obvious to, it's actually rather difficult for us. And we realize we don't actually know it as well as we need to, or we should. And so tonight what we're going to do is we're going to continue our series through the Gospel of Mark. And we would be in Mark chapter 15, which records Jesus' trial and execution. But what I want to do uh, is actually just zoom in on a specific question. Why? Why did Jesus need to die? And I think Peter actually answers this question quite succinctly for us in Acts chapter 2. Uh, Acts chapter 2 records Peter's Pentecost address, the first sermon uh, given post the Holy Spirit coming. And in sni the snippet of it, he says this in verses 22 and 23. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Peter gives us two reasons in this text why Jesus needed to die. And so from our text, I want us to see uh, the inevitable, that it's because of the inevitable result of our sin and God's purposed plan. So the inevitable result of our sin. Something that we've kept circling back to in this series is why we need a Savior King, and that is because of our sin. Now, we normally think of sin as, as a, an action, it's something we do, uh, but it always flows from something deeper. It's rooted in something in our hearts, and that's the belief that we are wiser, smarter, we care about ourselves or our situation more than God does. And it's this belief that gives birth to every action we would call sin. Uh, this is, for example, why you choose to lie. It's because in that moment, you've decided that you are, are wiser or know better than God does. That it makes more sense to twist the truth a little bit than to state it, as God would have you do. See, the actions flow out of this heart attitude. And that's the, the root of sin. And, and hopefully through this series you've become convinced of that. But what we haven't really stressed is the severity of this sin. Because let's be honest, sin really isn't that big of a deal to us. 
I mean, there are a few sins, like murder, and a couple others that are just, no, never, we can't do that. But a lot of the run-of-the-mill stuff, like cheating on a test or, uh, or sharing something that was told to us in confidence, that, that's really not that big of a deal to us, especially if we're the ones doing it. We kind of treat sin like using a cell phone in class. So, like, how many of you are allowed to use your cell phone in class? Okay. So, some of you. How many of you? But, uh, okay. True. For those of you that aren't, I'm pretty sure that some of you still try. At least that was the sampling from last room. Um, we, do it we would do it discreetly, right? We'd uh, hide it behind a book or try to do it under the desk and not do anything dumb like FaceTime grandma. Um, but it's still wrong, right? The rule is you can't use your cell phone, and so um, if you get caught, my understanding is the phone gets taken away for the rest of the class period. And that's a bummer, but it's really not, right? It's not a big deal. It's, it's, it's a minor offense, and there's a minor payment. It makes sense to us. But if, say, like, you weren't allowed to text in class, and you got caught, and the teacher pulls out a hatchet and cuts off your arm, you would probably be pretty, pretty that'd be jarring to you, I would think. And that's because there seems to be a disparity between the offense and the punishment, right? And that's what happens when we read Scripture, because the Bible takes sin very seriously. We read things like in Romans 6.23 that the wages or the payment of sin is death. And we go, hang on, why are these small misdemeanors that I'm doing earning me the death penalty? That doesn't make sense. It's because sin is not a misdemeanor. Sin is, is high treason. Now, treason simply means that we are, are betraying our country, right? We're selling government secrets to Russia or whatever. But, but back, back in, in Jesus' time, a country's identity was really tied up with who was ruling it. And so treason would have been to betray or attempt to overthrow the sitting king. And that is exactly what Adam and Eve do in the garden. Rather than enjoying the power and rule that God had given them, they decided to take the throne for themselves. They ate of the fruit. They committed treason against God. And every one of us has followed in their footsteps. Every time we sin, it's not just taking the bite of a piece of fruit. We are committing treason against the cosmic king. And that's why the punishment is death. And that treason is also why Jesus' death was inevitable. Because if you, want to over, if you want to be king, what has to happen to the sitting king? He has to die. To get the crown, you have to kill the king. And this is what the religious leaders and the people did. Peter says they took this man who was attested to them by God, who went around teaching, healing, doing good works, and they crucified him. They killed him in the most humiliating, degrading way that was available to them at that time. In other words, Jesus died because we all are traitors. But there's another side to why he had to die. Notice uh, the other reason that Peter gives in verse 23. He says that this Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, which is a really fancy way of saying that it was part of God's purposeful plan. Have you ever heard the argument against Christianity that, uh, that there's actually two gods, not one? 
that in the Old Testament, God is this vengeful, strict, you have to obey everything I say, God. But then in the New Testament, he like completely transforms and changes. He's like, actually, I love you all. Just come as you are. And people try to use that to discredit Christianity, but we have to acknowledge that even if you don't hate Christianity, you can kind of feel that tension, can't you? Like, you, you might be reading through the Old Testament, and, and it seems like God is trying to fix things uh, by requiring people to follow the law given to Moses and live holy lives. But if you've read any part of the Old Testament, you know that that, that plan never really takes off. In fact, it just kind of crashes and burns. And so it seems like when we get to the New Testament that, that God's like abandoned that and is now trying to fix things by sending Jesus. It's plan B. But what we have to realize is that's not true, that from the beginning, God's plan was always to send Jesus. Even though we rebelled, God still loved us enough to send his son to die for us. And that should cause us to ask a question. If God loved us so much, why did he need to send Jesus? Why couldn't he just look the other way, just ignore the offense? Well, because it's treason. <laughs> you, you just can't shrug off treason. And frankly, you wouldn't want God to do that. Deep down, we all want God to be just and to punish wrongdoing, because otherwise there's an unjust king on the throne. So rather than simply ignoring our treason, he forgives it. And I think forgiveness is something that we've watered down about as much as we've watered down the severity of sin. Because forgiveness to us just means saying, that's no big deal. It's all good. But in, in actuality, forgiveness is when you have been wronged and you have the right to demand payment, but instead you eat the cost. You absorb the loss. In a sense, you pay the penalty for the other person's transgression. So, like, let me try to illustrate. So if somehow you got a hold of my phone and you thought it'd be fun to just smash it to, like, to oblivion, right? Like, the screen is completely, it's an unusable phone at this point, and then you hand it back to me. If I say to you, that's okay, I forgive you, also I'm going to need $1,000 to replace it, have I actually forgiven you? No, I've demanded restitution. I've demanded for you to right the wrong, which is my right to do as the offended party. If I forgive you, that means I'm not requiring you to pay for the wrong. Here's the problem with that. I need a phone. My phone is still broken. And if you aren't paying for it, who's paying to fix it? I am. See, to forgive you, I have to absorb the cost of your wrongdoing. Forgiveness is costly for the one who's doing the forgiving. And that's why Jesus had to die. Someone had to pay for our treason. Someone's blood had to be shed. In order for God to forgive us, someone else had to absorb the cost. And God, in his infinite goodness and love toward us, stepped in to do that. Paul puts it like this in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That Jesus took our treason upon himself. He shouldered the full cost of your rebellion and mine so that we might become acceptable to God. So that we might be forgiven and restored. That's why Jesus had to die. And something amazing happens because of it. Paul, Paul marvels at it in Romans 5, 6 through 8. He says that while we were still weak, 
at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. So remember, the prevailing belief underneath our rebellion is that God doesn't care and doesn't have our best in mind. And yet Jesus went to the cross for you. And Paul points out, you were not a close relative. You were not a best friend. You were a sinner. You were an enemy. You were a traitor. And yet Jesus died for you. See, see, not only does Jesus' death make forgiveness possible, it proves that our hearts have believed fake news. That God does, in fact, act with our best in mind. And, and, and our response to that should be twofold. First, we should repent. We should sorrowfully acknowledge and turn from our treason and our attempts to be God. And then we should give our allegiance to the king. Uh, that we should entrust ourselves to his goodness and walk in the ways that he's laid before us. Mm-hmm.